Uh, welcome to the Raleigh Bitcoin Meetup Podcast from the Bitcoin House in Raleigh, North Carolina. All right, so the question we're going to start with today is we've seen the price of gold go up relatively significantly in the past few weeks. Um, how does this affect Bitcoin and why is it happening? I don't think it really affects Bitcoin much. I think it's kind of, yeah, like I'm inclined to think it's just it's just the network. Like Bitcoin is still an untested thing. Uh, it is still fringe and people are looking for safety. I think sound money just kind of its nature is about uh, is about hedging against uncertainty, which I think Bitcoin will be a powerful tool for that in the long run. But in the short term, it's a powerful tool for the people who understand it. And for the people who are looking for a like safety from uncertainty, they go to the traditional. They, they seek first that which they know, not which, you know, like if I'm looking like, if I already have something in my back pocket that I'm expecting to provide something for me, I'm not going to go hunting for the new app or the something else. Right. Like, I'm going to go with the one that I'm familiar with. Right. People run to gold. You know, exactly. Like the exactly. Thing. But I think Bitcoin is a slow, is a network transition in like mentality for uh, who understands that Bitcoin is that hedge against uncertainty. And I don't think that slows at all. I think the fact that people are looking for it will make them go to something familiar like gold, but then stop and wonder why Bitcoin is following. Like they'll, they'll stop and ask, they'll hear the narrative of Bitcoin is also sound money of all this stuff. And the fact that they're thinking about things like gold again, which will make them wonder about this digital version that they heard about. Um, so I think it only, it only really benefits gold and I think, I mean, excuse me, uh, benefits Bitcoin. And I think it's just a consequence of gold's incredible history and and you know, people, people always talk about <clears throat> situations where there's a hyper Bitcoinization happens, and in that type of situation, do people honestly think that other scarce, you know, relatively un un unconfiscatable assets wouldn't also go up in price to a certain extent? That might eventually be overtaken by Bitcoin price in a hyper Bitcoinization scenario. But in the short term, yeah, it makes total sense that scarce assets would, you know, trend up if people are looking for safety and storing their value. Yeah, yeah, if we're talking about all, uh, if we're talking about like a fiat collapse in that in that instance, instance, I think everything that's reasonably scarce and like behaves as sound money or behaves as a hedge will go up in relation to that thing, even if it turns out that Bitcoin goes up in relation to it as well, eventually, um, is that, well, you know, uh, baby steps. <laughs> so I've got a strange question for you guys, something I, I'm not too terribly aware of, but um, during uh, the, the big financial crisis with subprime lending, we kind of saw people talking about a recession kind of coming, but it kind of came pretty quick, right? I think that's historically accurate. Mm -hmm. um, what did gold do during that period of time? Does anyone know? Yeah, it, it did very well. I did it do very well very quickly? I was about to say, do you know the time frame in which I, I it think did it, well? I think it was about maybe 2011 or so when it was like 1900. So maybe okay. it, it trended up a couple of years after the actual recession happened and then hit, you know, 18, 1900, then it came down to, you know, 1,000, 1,100, and now it's back up around 15, mid-15s or so. So one of the things I think that's kind of interesting, um, I, I, I've been 
kind of taking Steve's advice, and Steve, if you're listening, don't get too chuffed with yourself, um, about trying to pay less attention to the national news um, and try to be a little more localized, pay attention to what's around us um, in, in Raleigh, in, in North Carolina, because um, that's the stuff that really affects us a whole lot more than, you know, it, it's unfortunate that some kid may get shot in Missouri, but, you know, it's a whole lot closer if it happens here in Raleigh. Um, and we've had a lot of debate about why that would make sense from an ethics perspective um, off the podcast. But I've seen a lot of people saying that the recession is coming, just, just people around me. And I don't recall that being the case around the last recession. That seemed to just come much more suddenly and it became into the public conscience. Do you think this is rhetoric that's causing people to believe the recession's coming and that's the impact on the price of gold, which is going to hopefully have a, some consequences towards, uh, positive consequences for Bitcoin? Um, or is this just some unknowable, you know, untraceable um, correlation between the two? I wonder if it's just an extension of the fact that like there's this general sense of like nothing got fixed. And so as we lead into it, it's like even if it's only 10 or 20%, there's going to be more people who recognize that, um, who are gonna recognize that something is up the second time when we're in the, in the exact same situation and everything is looking doubly worse than it was last time. Uh, I mean, it, it feels the same. We, we had a bubble in something that, we had, we had a bubble in stocks. You know, we had a bubble in derivatives markets. Like, it was like, it was like a fake bubble on top of a fake bubble this time around. So I, I, I would like to think that it's just kind of more obvious. Um, but I actually just actually just looked it up and he was right that like 2010 and 11 was the peak. But where the actual recession happened, it's funny, uh, gold actually took a short nosedive in the short term, which is what I was wondering would happen because you start with like heavy defaults before you see the Fed respond with you know lowering interest rates or printing money or something like that, which means that you essentially have deflation in the dollar. So it would be that the dollar took a spike up because people were abandoning you know the the liquid assets. They were getting rid of you know credits and like that kind of thing. So, so like even the people who had gold had short term liquidity problems, so they needed to go back to dollars in the short term before eventually getting back more into gold. I'd say it would probably, I mean, possibly, that could very well be a part of it, but I'd say more than anything, it would just be that um, uh, uh, because uh, people were escaping like dollar derivatives and we were having defaults, like we were having an actual credit crunch, is that people were just rushing to cash from you know, uh, uh, other, other ways to hold money, essentially. Panic buy sats. <laughs> um, what was what was your original question? Because I, I, you know, I had to no, correct. I did totally no, no, no. I, I think that I think this is kind of an interesting conversation. Um, the. I think the, the world's basically going to, to hold in a handbasket yeah. for a couple of reasons. <laughs> Most particularly is that when we hit another recession, I think the biggest... That's thing, our professional opinion. Well, yeah, I mean, of course. <laughs> professional podcasters here. Hello. Um, when, when shit hits the fan, I, I think what's going to be um, very interesting is how readily uh, and how willing the public is going to be to allow people to get bailed out again. And I think that's going to cause um, that's going to cause the big stink. Is that if there is no one that's going to be deemed too big to fail, 
I think there's going to be a lot of unemployment and going to be a lot of issues. People are going to start looking at what money is, which they should be, and how it works, and what better money is. Um, but I think it's only natural that people run, and, and kind of a collateral thought to that is people run to the sounder money when when there's financial uncertainty. I think that just goes to the basics of Gresham Law, which we bring up in almost every podcast. Yeah. You want to you want to hold on to the good money and spend the bad money. And it's simple as that. And that's why I think gold is pumping, is that people, there's some uncertainty and people are moving towards the yeah, better money. I, I guess the, the basis of my question was why is Bitcoin relatively flat now? Is it because it already pumped or is it because everyone's already in there? And, you know, like gold is, is doing well, Bitcoin is kind of chilling right now. And that, that was, that's actually kind of freaked a lot of people out in, in, the, in the crypto community from what I'm hearing. They didn't so expect that. Bitcoin was around three grand in April. So, I mean, if you look at the price now, it's about 3x in No, I, I, six I, I recognize that. And that might be the answer. Maybe it's just that everyone's already done what they needed to do. Um, but And then gold is actually lagging behind Bitcoin. That might be. We're, we're talking about mega asset categories like treasuries and gold. Bitcoin is not one of them. I don't, I am not convinced. There's been a little bit of correlation with gold. But I'm not convinced, I mean, that that's just not just noise. It's not liquid. Bitcoin, I think, is kind of doing its own thing. I don't, it's not a store of value, Bitcoin. It's a, it's a spec, as, as the uh, Jerome Powell said, it's a speculative store of value, right? So it's, we're speculating that it will become one, mm -hmm. but it's not one. I, 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 I wonder if anyone, you know, I'm curious if anyone disagrees what, with that. When, when would you say it would become a store of value? At what point or what benchmark? In your view, well, I, it's the the store of value thing. All depends on your time frame. You know, if you only have a hundred dollars to your name and you need to buy something for a hundred dollars tomorrow, Bitcoin would be a very bad thing for you to put your money in. You know, but I, I think one of the ways that people who huddle Bitcoin think about it is you know long term store of value to where really you don't you don't really worry about the short term price movements as much and just trust the monetary. What, what is the price of Bitcoin today? About 10k, oh, it's like 10 2 or yeah. something like that. And I think that just goes to what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, I couldn't tell you within yeah. $300. I haven't looked at a month, I don't think. I think I kind of disagree with the idea that even it's a speculative store of value because, like, it's it's scarce nature will make it, it I, I agree with the whole like it's a time frame thing um, that like in the short term if we're talking about like next month then yeah you're absolutely right like no I would never want to hold in Bitcoin just because I, I need it back immediately in a month like it wouldn't really be a point it would just be that <clears throat> oh I'm just really familiar and I want to do Bitcoin because I'm a Bitcoin maximalist or whatever but in the when I look at the actual nature when I look at the actual inflation schedule when I look at everything about how Bitcoin market the market grows and the asset I would say yes over anything longer than 12 months I'm considering it a store of value. I'm considering it something where I know because I don't expect the market to do anything but grow slowly over time. And I know the supply is not going to do that. It's going to continue to diminish in the new, like, uh, uh, the new being issued, essentially. Um, and because I believe or uh, have through lots of study note it to be decentralized or like a natural market, I feel that natural market forces will push it up. The longer the time period I have to look at it, the longer that is the case, in my opinion. 
I am sort of speculating on that, but I think that's just, I think that's the nature of the word speculation. We're all speculating on gold just based on a more reliable history. Um, so yeah, I think there's, I think there's a little like, like I think I've heard that argument before that it's a speculative store value, but I think that's just kind of a, uh, arbitrary delineation on the word speculation because that's what we always do. If I, if I buy gas right now because the price is a little bit low, I'm speculating on the price of gas, you know? So um, I think it's the fact that you followed that up with the store value is really the only thing that matters. Um, and uh, as far as uh, how did this start from uh, from but you asking this, keep, you asking this these, stenographer like, to read this back? Can you give me the play-by-play -play here? <laughs> no, so uh, like, not to not to jump further into this, um, but you said something a minute ago that that made me uh, think of something I'd stumbled on the internet. Um, you know, we we're comfortable. I've stumbled onto some terrible things on the internet, <laughs> but this is actually Bitcoin related. Um, <laughs> So uh, you were talking about oh we know this about gold because we've got some there's some there's some history behind it right we've seen what's been going on for the millennia that we've been valuing gold as a as a hard hard asset um, and I stumbled onto this concept called uh, and I pulled it up my phone already here called the Lindy effect yeah. have you guys ever I was going to say Lindy effect dude hit it yeah dude, I don't even know why I'm talking I'm talking <laughs> no. Wikipedia if you know what it is if you got Wikipedia up that's going to be better than than my memory so uh, the Lindy effect is a theory that the future life expectancy of some non perishable thing, uh, like a technology or an idea, is proportional to its current age so that every additional period of survival implies a longer remaining life expectancy. And, uh, and I think we've seen that with gold, I think was the point that you were making, uh, we've seen what's going to happen is going to continue, but Bitcoin's 10 years old. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, I know there's gold bug meetups. Um, I don't know how exciting they are, but like we're ten Probably years really old and right we're now. jazzing it up for being ten. I mean, like we're we're about to hit our teens. It's gonna get a little bit rebellious here soon, but uh, I mean, this is this. I think for me is is incredibly interesting because the longer this thing continues, it's just gonna reinforce um, its anti-fragile nature. Yeah, I think that's a decent argument to the whole speculative side of things. Is that we don't have much Lindy effect work uh, to work from, and like from my personal experience, my personal experience is not the norm you know most people are just coming here saying that this is going to be a thing and they are taking what from their perspective is probably an incredibly risky bet on that whereas like my personal opinion is not at all i think everywhere else i'm holding money as a bet that's that's, that's how that's where i am I've, so i'm already using bitcoin as a store of value like basically 100 percent. i mean uh, all my assets aren't bitcoin but i don't keep any fiat. If I have a pile of fiat that starts to grow, I feel like I'm taking a, a big risk. I don't like it. I, I, if I've got a pile of fiat, I spend it for Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, if I'm making any purchases more than whatever money I have in my pocket, usually it's going to be with Bitcoin um, or with other currency that I'll, you know, convert into Bitcoin. Um, so, I mean, for me, it's already a store of value. Um, and it doesn't feel... You know, I mean, at this point, if Bitcoin drops 10% today, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, if it goes up another 10%, cool. Because um, I, I just, I feel like it's incredibly obvious that uh, this is very early. And um, with, as everybody's mentioned, it's such a small market right now. Just a little bit of actual pressure on that market uh, puts us in a different, in, in a different realm. 
So let me ask this. I mean, that's that's interesting. Uh, I, I'm not a gold bug at all, just for the record. But would you consider hedging into something like gold as a as an alternative asset? Uh, JC, I can answer this for you. If gold was a shit coin, JC would hedge into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I had to say that. Digital I know gold. He's all in. <laughs> I, I thought about buying gold because gold I saw coin. that uh, they make. There's a company that makes uh, two ounce gold bars, Bitcoin mm. part on them. Mm. And I thought. And then there's another company that makes just gold Bitcoin coins with private keys in the back. Oh yeah, you should have done that. That's so, pretty cool. So yeah, I yeah. thought, is that maybe, that's, somebody else is doing that now? That's, that's the thing, yeah. Oh, Two different companies that I know of. Solid, investment grade, gold, um, one troy ounce for the coin, two troy ounce for the bar. Um, but uh, it's, uh, I thought it'd be cool to buy one ounce gold coins and put one Bitcoin each on them and have a bag of Bitcoin coins. No. <laughs> That's a gold. Terrible idea. It would, it would, it would be terrible an interesting idea. diversification. <laughs> it would be an interesting diversification method because the, you're also betting on the if, if if Bitcoin wins, you kind of win twice because you're also you're also betting on the novelty of the coin, like with with private keys. Like the the Cassatius coins or whatever. Right. Um, some of those like oh, one Bitcoin Cassatius coins were going for like two Bitcoin. Yeah. So. Uh, I just don't like this idea because some unknowing weirdo is going to break into your house and see a bunch of gold that coins the and steal part. gold. That and you're was like, the, damn it. That was the thing that made me not just do it immediately. Because I thought, well, then if I lose my coins, I lose my money. But I thought, well, isn't that, that's how money's been forever. Is that right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, how long have you been up with this? You're like, you know? yeah, you think like, oh, that's so before, stupid to keep before, your money on a coin. Yeah, <laughs> like, what, why would I keep my money somewhere if I take it? It's gone. Can I back this up on my hard drive? <laughs> this is a meme in the making. <laughs> uh, so, so that actually, you know, gave me a, a little bit of a, I guess, an epiphany about how, how we've traditionally seen money. Um, or anything, any physical thing. The fact that you can own something now that's very valuable, but it doesn't actually, you don't actually hold it necessarily. Um, it's, uh, but I feel safer. Like people, yeah. when people always say, why do you buy Bitcoin? You can't hold it, you can't see it, rather have gold. But it's like, where I am though, the gold feels like it's more fake mm -hmm. <laughs> than Bitcoin. So. Well, after you get a degree of familiarity with it, you know what it is that you're holding. Like, you, you know what it is that you have to keep safe, and it's not that difficult to keep information safe if you know exactly what you're doing with it. Um, so I, I have the same thing. Like, I feel as, as soon as stuff is bad, like, when I was playing the altcoin casino, like, I was stressing, <laughs> stressing balls all the time. Like, like, I just, like, what's it going to do? What's it going to do? And then as soon as I, like, would get out of it or whatever, be back into Bitcoin, I'd be like, okay, thank you. Like, and it didn't really matter what happened with the Bitcoin price in the short term. It was like, okay, it dumps. It's like, well, the altcoins are going to dump twice as hard. Like, I just got to make sure I get it back into Bitcoin, you know? Yeah, if I have a positive Satoshi balance, I don't care what the USD value is at all. <laughs> um, you know, that's it. If, if my Satoshis went up by, like, 3%, but my dollars went down, like, 10%, Totally, I'm happy. I'm like, I just made three percent more Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean that, that was actually one of the one of the best memes for me to learn in the 2017 market was that there was this big controversy on Twitter of you buy a bunch of alts, the USD value goes up, but the Bitcoin value goes down. Have you made money or lost money? Yeah, and a lot of people had different thoughts about that, but I think the uh, the 
definite Bitcoin answer is that if, if when you buy back into Bitcoin, you have fewer Bitcoin, you lost. You lost. Yeah. You, know, you, you lost real money. Yeah. You made fake money, but you lost real money. Yeah. So you, you did a little better. I mean, it's like an investment product. Like, you know, the stock market will get you X percent return. Something else will get you a little bit less, but you're still right. I mean, if you make more Bitcoin, that's the standard. If you're, yeah. But the consolation prize, but even if the price of Bitcoin like went down exactly in the short term versus US dollar versus right. US dollar yeah I, I remember, so I remember what that other thing was it was, it was uh, Duncan's point on uh, why does yeah, why did Bitcoin not go up when gold went up or whatever when we've got this like uncertainty or whatever and I think it's just actually he, he kind of answered like my, my answer um, but it was just that it's so illiquid that I think Bitcoin is still just totally doing its own thing. Um, is that, I mean, for the longest time, people were hunting for a correlation between Bitcoin and the traditional markets. And honestly, the, the own ramps between the two, just, they're not that big yet. They're not the major, like, liquidity movers. And you're still looking at a situation where we have uh, some massive whales can, just a handful of them, can make one big short term one yeah can make big short term moves by deciding to sell you know a thousand coins or buy a thousand coins and it will be completely irrelevant what a general market sentiment is when you're talking about time scale of weeks now when you start hitting six months and 12 months then you've got a completely different story but when I don't know. Uh, the, there's a there's an ongoing kind of meme or whatever. But anybody who's been in it long enough and just like watch the news and then watch the price, you know, during a bull market, bad news doesn't mean shit. Does nothing happens. There's no correlation whatsoever. And then in a bear market, good news doesn't mean shit. Like Bitcoin really does just kind of do its own thing. And I think any kind of recursive attempt to explain it with news or like some sort of event is really just kind of blindfolding and throwing darts at dartboard thinking thinking you're going to hit something. I'm totally with you on that concept because it's one of the most frustrating things to me in the world where people look back in time and then overlay, oh yeah, that's when CME launched or that's when Gox was hacked and all these things. But I just, I think that that's just helping our lizard brains make sense of what we think happened and that under the, you know, under the covers, it's all just Bitcoin's monetary economics that are just playing out, and we're just trying to overlay what's happening in the world. Yeah. But I think that if none of those news stories happened, we'd still be seeing the same price chart just because of the scarcity aspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I feel like it's like one of those things where, like, there's so much local weather that like people are. It's like kind of pointing to like the broader climate and then trying to explain why it's colder today than it was yesterday or hotter or vice versa. It just doesn't make any sense on the time frame that we're talking about. Are you out, man? Yeah. Sad story. We're going to be closing early tonight, I guess. Yeah. I just wanted to... Yeah, I, I agree with what you said about the speculative store of value. I'm just saying, like, as a store of value, meaning people are afraid, people are fearing. Bitcoin is not a store of value. The mar- Bitcoin isn't a store of, uh, um, the market doesn't perceive. What I'm saying is Bitcoin is uncorrelated, right? Mm-hmm. It's uncorrelated to macroeconomic events. I think we could run some math tests to check that. 
Gold, however, is not. And I think what your original question about gold was, why has it gone up? Like that's something. Like that's no, that's uh, news. No, it, it wasn't. It was oh. based on the presumption that gold is a similar asset class to Bitcoin. Actually, ah. it is a, a store of value. So, yeah, coming from that assumption and not seeing the two correlate very strongly at the moment. That's, is, that, it, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that it ever has. You know, at some point, I think it will. Mm-hmm. So one of the strange things about yeah. One of the reasons people like gold is because of the Lindy effect. And one of the strange things about the Lindy effect is that it was a deli in New York. And whenever the paper came out explaining the Lindy effect, the diner closed down like that same year or the yeah, year the after. Yeah, Lindy Deli. Yeah. So we should have been around for a really long time. Right. And it closed down immediately when people figured out the Lindy effect, which is kind of strange. That's pretty funny, actually. Yeah. That's it. Wait, I didn't follow that at all. Explain what, what the heck is used? What, what, what is that? Well, I mean, what, what do you mean? So I, I didn't follow. It was that. It was that an analogy? Was that a story? No, I just don't. I just don't know what it means. Irony. It's kind of strange. Yeah, it's it's the irony of that, like the the originator of the Lindy effect, gotcha. did so just before shutting down. Like gotcha. the thing that supposedly had the Lindy effect. But I think it's just. I, I really think that's just. Um, I mean, do, you, do we not believe that uh, this person thought that you know the deli was going to continue? Well, maybe they did. Um, maybe they did realize that it was going to fail or something. But I think it's a general perception. I don't think it has anything to do with truth. It has to do with what, how people think about it. Um, is that, like, I mean, if we think about it, the dollar, the U.S. dollar, what could have a greater Lindy effect right now? But I think to anybody looking sees that there's writing on the wall and that it, it's, go- it's coming to a, a serious point of turn, like a serious change, a transition in its history in which it might not survive if policies and things do not change quickly. But its Lindy effect is well, incredibly powerful. Here's something for you. So one of the comments that that, uh, that Jared made earlier was about uh, you know what happens in the next global financial crisis situation when the governments around the world again come to the realization that, okay, yeah, these 10 companies are too big to fail, so we're just going to bail them out. That's like a a negative Lindy effect that gets into people's minds and they just think that, you know, it's like a moral hazard situation where, well, every time this happens, the governments are going to bail them out. And I think that kind of thing is kind of a, a, a negative aspect of a Lindy effect that if you keep doing the wrong things, people are, people are going to expect you're going to keep doing the wrong things. Whereas Bitcoin's Lindy effect is, you know, stable, known monetary supply, blocks come out every approximately 10 minutes and it just does what exactly what you expect it to do, which is the kind of Lindy effect you want. Yeah, there's so much moral hazard in like how the policy has responded to these downturns with like bailouts to banks who explicitly did incredibly irresponsible things. Like when they're getting bailed out, well then you immediately turn into a situation where it's like I can make I can invest in these terrible investments that are unsustainable and. Um, and you know, I won't have to worry about like I I can just make sure that I invest in one that's going to get bailed out in the next time. Um, yeah. And so right. you so they're going to capital into things that are specifically poisonous because you know they're too big to fail. So that's where you're going to put your <laughs> money because you're going to get a bailout. Yeah. 
and then crazy. it also uh, encourages any other bank that thinks they're going to get into that elite group that will get bailed out to be as irresponsible as, pos as possible just to squeeze into the group so they don't have to worry about paying for their irresponsibility. This is one of those small little on the margin incentives that Bitcoin just, I think, nails perfectly because you don't want your money to be on the biggest exchange. You know, mm -hmm. you also probably don't want your money to be on the smallest exchange with terrible security. But like, the bigger the honeypot, the more risk. And you know, in Bitcoin, you want to not be that person who dumps their money into, you know, some humongous general respect that's going to get bailed out. Because you know, in Bitcoin, nobody's coming to bail you out. You want to do that over this way? Okay. Yeah, let's do that. Hey, you, you want to go with an exchange that has one person as a customer? You're on, you're on a hardware wallet. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> my hardware wallet is my exchange. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you guys for answering my question very, very fully. Yeah. <laughs> we can take this around four yeah. five more times yeah. if you want. Can we add any new avenues to this one? So I, um, I got into a conversation. I hate that JC's not here for this, um, and, I, and I don't want to get into the, the specific details of what we got into, but um, do you think that Bitcoin and the responsibility of holding your own keys is producing a change in the way that we perceive responsibility over money? For anybody in Bitcoin, yes. Yes. Like for the people there, absolutely. So I think mine changed and I would consider myself a relatively responsible person prior. How did it change from what were you before and what are you now in terms of responsibility? I didn't know. I never thought about the idea of it being mine. And I never quite registered that. Like it was always with some other party. It was always with some other company or something. Like like my like when I held Bitcoin. I mean, I remember I, the I tell the story back in from 2012 ish or whatever that I backed up a wallet and it was essentially everything that I had in one or two addresses or something like that. And uh, I had backed up the wallet and then tried to restore. And it turns out that the software was just that, that beta, I guess you could say, so that I couldn't use the normal method, I thought, to like open with like thing. But what it looked like to me was that my, my backed up keys were empty, which made me freak out and think that I had backed up an empty set of keys. I backed up the wrong one. I didn't have wiped my hard drive. And oh, geez. I, for twenty, this, this is, oh, there were like three times in my Bitcoin history that I was brought to vomiting. And this was one of them. I, for 20 years, for 20 years, for 20 hours, I thought, and for, because I had had scares in the past, I didn't call uh, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, I didn't call and tell her, and I was like, okay, like, uh, this is probably just a scare. I've probably just done something stupid, um, and I'll get it figured out. But as time progressed, I was getting more and more nervous. But this is just one of those things where you realize this is wholly yours. This is 100% yours. Nobody can bail you out. Nobody. Not the biggest army in the world can give you your Bitcoin back. And it is, it is truly something that you are holding and it's a lot of value even if it's a small amount in terms of something that was 
fully under your responsibility. Almost everything has some sort of a fail-safe or some sort of intermediary to go to and make sure that you can reverse that transaction to the wrong bank or something like that. Um, and you just don't have that. And it just completely changed my perspective. So uh, can, can I take a poll of the people in the room and feel free to not uh, respond if you don't want to participate? Um, has anyone here actually lost Bitcoin because of their own irresponsibility or an error? Yes, absolutely. Mm. This is a total setup, man. I don't, I don't want to jinx myself, you know? <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think that I've got some Bitcoin out there that's just on a really small exchange that I don't even remember. But like 10 years from now, it'll probably be worth a lot. But, but you haven't lost anything like due to your own mistakes or irresponsibility or, like, <laughs> or cock up? I, I assume I already have. Like, yeah. I'm just going with it. It's just a cost of doing business. It's like, and, and to the, your point of losing it, it's like, it's really easy to lose it. And in the future, I think it'll be much more difficult. Oh, yeah. Such as like, oh, yeah. if you're typing on a 1995 Windows, whatever, it's really easy you're writing a 10 page report, it's really easy to hit backspace and you've yeah. deleted everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just the cost of doing business. As you stay in it longer, yeah. the price is going up. Like. You might have lost some, but you've gained a whole lot more. Like so, so there's a reason why I asked this question, and and like I agree with what you're saying. I think it's going to become easier in the future. But the the, the practical reason why, for the purpose of this podcast, is that I I went through a pretty pretty hectic scare and um, called a couple of folks from the, the meetup group. Like, oh my god, what do I do? Um, where do I go? Um, right. I need to find a passport. No, I'm kidding. It wasn't quite that bad. It was bad, but it wasn't quite that bad. Um, and you know, after after realizing the mistake, after realizing that there was an issue, after realizing that I had a hardware wallet that wasn't responding and couldn't work and wasn't working for a period of around uh, two weeks, um, with a, 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 with not that I hold any cryptocurrency, but this is all hypothetical. But my test that coins were in serious danger. I couldn't get it off, and, I, and, and no matter what I did, no matter how many times I tried, no matter what, how many different machines, I could not find my private keys um, to, to, to pull it off the, the hardware wallets, and it was stuck. And I remember having this like realization, this moment of, I did this to myself, I screwed up, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't being safe, I didn't, put that set of, of C uh, words in a safe place like I did with the others. Um, and I just had this like massive realization that I've got no one to blame but myself. I can't call 1-800-shitty-chase-bank and say, hey guys, my car got stolen for the third time this year, true story. Um, like, you need to send me a new car and overnight that bitch. Like, this is me and the bank of Jared done cock it up again. I know that feeling very, very potently. Yeah, yeah. tell us, guy. Um, okay. Um, well, hi, I'm Guy. Hi, hi, I'm Guy. Hi, Guy. <laughs> um, so there have been back up, back up your keys, back up your keys. Um, there's. There's a lot of different ways. You're in a safe space. There's a lot of different ways to lose Bitcoin. Uh, but one of the, particularly with like hardware wallets and stuff, is you constantly, when you imagine the scenarios that go wrong, you, you imagine an adversary. 
you imagine an attacker, you imagine police coming in and like seeing your keys or whatever and just confiscating it with your computer and all the stuff and that you want to make sure that you can still get it when someone else tries to take it from you. You tend to forget that the most likely situation is that you are your adversary, is that you are going to forget how to get to your coins or that you are going to lose your little paper, piece of paper with your seeds on it. Preach. Or that you're going to accidentally, when it doesn't print out, to store your passphrase, your thirteenth word, your thirteenth passphrase, on a notepad on a computer that you hate and sucks, and then two months later you're going to reformat that hard drive oh and realize that you had no other backup of it. Even though you tried, because that's the worst thing, is I had already developed the habit of like trying to get into every time I create an account for something, every time I create a new wallet, I back it up before I send money to it. And that's essentially what I did. I put it on a notepad on the same game computer and like an idiot. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's 13 random characters gone. And uh, to made with the password manager, and it is a life-changing amount of so money. Is Wait. it just one of the twenty-four secrets? So no. How? Okay. Um, so I did a lot of research on this. Yeah. Um, after this happened, um, is um, how it works is you have your twenty-four word C for mm -hmm. your hardware wallet, mm -hmm. and then you can create a passphrase wallet as well. Okay. And I never stopped to consider just on um, like general passing, I'm just thinking use a secure password. Like, like it's not really, it, it didn't really register until like after I really stopped and think about it. I was like, what a stupid redundancy. It doesn't make any sense. Like use a memorable password. Like you can't even see the wallets mm -hmm. on a hardware wallet if you hide it behind a passphrase, they're invisible. Um, you have to regenerate the key every time you punch in the password. So just use something memorable. Use password one, two, three, four. It's better than nothing, you know? Um, and uh, they still have to get into your hardware wallet. Um, but uh, so in this instance, I was like, it was just using my general habit of using a secure password, um, uh, 13 random characters. And but apparently what it does is that the 24, the normal, it's, it's BIP 48, I believe. Um, the normal 24 word seed is used to create a 256 bit key. Then your 13 character password or whatever password you use generates an additional 256 bit key. And those come together to make a 512 bit key. And then you hash that uh, into a 256 bit key and you hash it 2048 times to get the ending private key that is generated for your wallet. Which means that when I was originally doing the math, I was starting to, because um, you can't even test a password without making a 512 and then hashing 2048 times for 256, um, just to get your key so that you can test if your password was right or not. So I have to do that every single time I attempt to brute force this thing. And so I was trying to do math on this. And then you gotta like, actually load a wallet and see if it populates with anything. Yeah, load a wallet and see if it Well, yeah. luckily, luckily I could manualize it. Like, like I could yeah, manualize it. I could, uh, I could shorten the length quite a bit because I know the exact address um, and I can see it on the blockchain. So I could just test the key, does it sign? Like, like I could shorten that process quite a bit, but I can't shorten the fact that I have to hash it 2,048 times. Right. And 
uh, I get to the point where I'm like, okay, let's say computing power, like I can get a GPU machine or whatever, in 30 years, they can crunch this many numbers, blah, blah, blah. All right, well then, it would make sense for me to be willing to spend a million dollars on a machine and run it, spend another million dollars running the thing for however many years, let's say two decades or something, to try to get this back as a retirement account. And I broke it down to maybe in kind of a perfect situation scenario, it would take like 80 years, which means that maybe I win the lottery and it takes 20. But that was before I realized you had to hash 2048 times. Dude, so if you make a, my if you make a deck for this, multiply by 2048, you might be able to get some money like for this that. idea. If you make a deck, get yourself back 80 years later. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it's a, uh, in 40 years, let me look at it again, and then I still have the 24 words, but outside of that, I see no other way to recover. I think we need to take this to some angel investors. Is this still, this is still, it's, it's still a business. Or a hypnosis. No, I, I'm still considering this at one point, it will be worth so you've the money. So you money to do it, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I kind of feel like that it still wouldn't be worth the money. I think that Probably yeah. not. Yeah. Because the, the likelihood, it, it, it has to make a decent percentage. Value. It yeah, has to be got. better than a bet on, you know, a certain fantasy football or at a casino. You know, like it has to have a good percentage Dude, chance. you gotta make it a lottery. You gotta open source it and there get people to, get a thousand Lighting. people to run, yeah. base, you know, GPUs for <laughs> three months. <laughs> people would do it, man. And what you gotta do is break down that however many iterations the 13 words would be, and then just say, okay, you get the one through the 10 billionth iteration, you get the 10 billion and one to 20 billion. Just create a mic. <laughs> yeah, just create a, a, a hacking pool to, hacking pool. Yeah, to recover your funds. <laughs> a brute forcing pool. Oh, you, you would you be able to do that though? Because you wouldn't even have you wouldn't have to give them see that's the what words. Is, would you have? You to, could give them the first. Well, how do they test it? Two fifty six. You could give them the two fifty six that come from the if seeds. If they produce, well, then they can. I, yeah. What I could do is well, no, no. Technically, I could. Is that it would have to be a centralized pool where they were sending me their half of the private key that they were testing. They would do the uh, thirteen. They would do the thirteen characters and produce that two hundred fifty six bits, and then I would have my private two fifty six bit. Oh shit, the 2048 hash comes you gotta after. Hash it. <laughs> it's after that. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Like I said, I don't think this is gonna work. I don't think it's gonna work. I'm not, I'm not, I'm gonna keep trying. Can you, trying. Okay, you, keep, can you disclose just, the, the value here? I would rather not. Okay. Is it, is it more than a Bitcoin? <laughs> so, so, yeah. yeah. God, yeah God, I feel Bitcoin. confident that you're never getting this back. I yeah. feel like you need to own your shame. <laughs> I do, I own my shame. That means telling us the number. I don't want to hear the number. Maybe. Maybe. I don't want to hear it. Maybe I'll put it in my book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but I, I think if, to, to your original question, it's, I, I think it feels different. I mean, to, to me, when I'm handling Bitcoin, it feels different than when I'm logging into my, by the way, I worked at Citibank for 18 years, so I appreciate that you said um, shitty Chase account instead of, <laughs> instead of shitty bank. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it feels different. I think people feel that. Even like my new friends that I help, they get that. 
Yeah, I, I messed up this week on or a uh, week and a half ago. Um, I deleted an ISO image of a virtual machine that had a bunch of stuff saved on uh, my computer. I actually messaged the Telegram group and no one responded back. Like just out of um, like just like okay, you're on your own on this one, guy. You 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 messed up. Um, but no, I mean, luckily I've got my my seed words. I just don't have um, readily ac ready access to it. It's not a lot of money that was on on the machine, so I'm not stressing about it. But uh, again own my mistake like my first thought was geez i really need to be better about planning what i'm doing and how i'm doing things because it is so easy to become dependent and reliant on some company that can send you a plastic card and tell you your money's all safe and sound um but that's not fiscal responsibility not by a long shot yeah. looking yourself in the mirror after you make a muck of something and saying hey look you, you've got to step your game up if you want to be a responsible adult I think that's true financial independence. Yeah. And it's also um, systemically fragile when everyone has that. And that's why Bitcoin was invented. It's like the system, the system is too weak and it's going to get weaker over time as the capability of hacking grows. The system yeah. can't handle it. That's why we need to decentralize everything. And the fail safes are essentially going to be overwhelmed as like the lack of security like shows. Um, and, uh, and I think there's like an inherent point, like, like an, an inherent principle in that is that you know it's liberty, like, like you know you've gotten yourself a degree of freedom because it's your responsibility. Like, like anything, in, like that's kind of the nature of liberty, like we talk about it, like it's all, it's all great, we can do everything, it's like, but really what liberty means is that you're responsible. Like, like liberty is equated, like you can equate it with responsibility. It means that you're in charge of your education, you're in charge of your life. It's the other side of the coin. It's the other side of the coin is that um, like it just means that it's yours. Yeah. And that's great because you should want to be responsible for your life. You should want to take control of your own direction and your own funds and your own stuff. But yeah, that's how you know it's, that's how you know it's your it's real freedom and, and in the terms of the bitcoin protocol it's because you can lose it and nobody can get it back for you and this is one of the memes that i'm really happy is like the number one rule in bitcoin you know not your keys not your coins mm -hmm. and you just you know you you, you have to understand that bitcoin's a system of incentives and trade-offs and you can't there, there are no free lunches in bitcoin and losing coins from you know, a personal mistake is like one of the hardest ways to learn that, and there's just no way around it. Yeah. So I, I have quite a good one. If you if you look at if um, Oxford and Interpol and IOTA, mm -hmm. uh, there, there's um, a famous, um, fairly famous um, guy who got arrested after stealing a bunch of um, IOTA from people. I was one of those people. That was actually like my first crypto purchase. Oh, they got uh, stolen from or they stole from a bunch of people? <laughs> <laughs> Is that your helicopter? <laughs> Either way, here's a business card. <laughs> so, yeah, so he, he uh, planted a, something that's... Uh, when, when you first created your IOTA wallet, there was a, a link there in case you're too lazy to actually type in this long, long key yourself. There was a link to a key generator. Oh, the entropy and oh. someone hacked the entropy link. That's it. That's yeah, yeah, and I was there yeah. when that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was a victim of, of that. And and like you say, that was, that was actually, I was kind of happy. Like I got away yeah. relatively cheaply with my first lesson about managing my keys, yeah. right? Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that, so anytime anyone brings up Oda, I feel like I need to hate on it a little bit. Um, are we okay going to a hate fest for a second? Um, is anyone familiar with how the Iota ICO happened? Like, yeah. you, no. Um, I couldn't tell you, but I remember during If you guys were on BitcoinTalk.org uh, when it went down, basically like there's 11, 12% of the circulating supply of Iota that still hasn't been given to the people that bought, bought it from the Iota team. No kidding. Oh, absolutely! It is a giant lawsuit waiting to happen. Oh, it's it's. Wait, in, I, I don't they they just refuse to give the they they so people started causing a fuss on Bitcoin Talk uh, forums, and then David Schneebly, how do you pronounce his last Schneebly. name? Schneebly. Um, I think it's the technical pronunciation. Um, they were basically like, well, look, we no one else has been KYC uh, KYC, and uh, if you want to get your coins, we're going to KYC. You got to send your passport. Uh, you got to send it to us. And everyone's like, yes, yeah, screw you. You didn't make any else do it so now you're doing it to selectively prosecute us because we've been shit talking you and um, hmm. and like when someone gets access to that they're going to tank that thing hmm. it's just a matter of time hmm. so those coins are actually there oh yeah they no, they've been minted they just haven't been distributed yeah. to the people that bought them hmm. it's gonna be a big big loss oh, that's dirty that's yeah. dirty <laughs> oh, man. that's that that's why to me though because why don't you just pay some guy on the street to do the KYC and then you just give them your address. That's like, it doesn't actually have to be you. So uh, there's a website called iotaclaimants.com um, that I may own um, or not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've spoken to a bunch of these claimants um, and we were interested in putting together a class action uh, about this. Um, what I got out of IOTA and I was very involved in the community at the very beginning. Um, the, but then I saw kind of the writing on the wall and what was happening I was like, screw it, I'm, I'm dumping what I was holding. Um, but there are guys that are holding at the time, like when, when I was at like 30, 40 cents, I don't know what it's at now, but they were holding tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on Iota that they had paid in. And you don't want to give that to some guy off the streets. You want to do it by the book. You want it to get treated like everyone else gets treated. Uh, that's my that's my assessment of what people are thinking and feeling about it now. But I know that's some bullshit shitcoin that's got nothing to do with Bitcoin. So if if we don't mind changing topics slightly, there was something I was thinking about this week that I don't understand why it doesn't happen more often. Because you think about all the currencies around the world, some of them are pretty good and some of them are just terrible. But I don't understand why the concept of a speculative attack doesn't happen more often to weak currencies. So, from the crowd, let, let's let's hear of a currency that you think is just bad. Before you do that, can you define what you mean by speculative attack? Yeah, yeah. Well, so so what's a bad currency? Are you talking about just any currency, like a like a fiat currency? Okay. The Argentine peso. Yeah, that was that was the first one that came up in my mind when I was thinking about this too. So the Argentinian peso has lost like. 98% of its value versus the dollar over the past 50 years or whatever. And like last week, it devalued like 25% versus the dollar. And my question is, why isn't there a U.S. company that gives you a loan in Argentinian pesos for a mortgage to where you just, you know, you immediately convert it from pesos to dollars and buy your house, but... It's tech, the, the, you know, the principle is denominated in pesos. So you gotta think 30 years from now, the peso is gonna be further depreciated versus the dollar, and you're, you're, you're not gonna have to pay back as much as the mortgage. And that's, that's 
at its core what a speculative attack is. You take out a loan in a bad currency, and when it devalues, it's cheaper to pay it back. That'd be really smart. Well, you need access to that currency. Well, I was just curious. Yeah, you actually, you like, would need a partner bank in the local, you know, country to do. I was about to say is that like I would imagine it has something to do with capital controls and who can issue those loans and what you can do with the money afterward. Because you're talking about having to do it within Argentina as far as right. holding but, it. But you think that, dollars are really hard to get hold of. You would think that governments would want banks to make huge loans. You know, to foreigners. No. So, 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 so perform a speculative attack. Yeah, they don't necessarily have to know it's a speculative attack, but yes. nor do they even really have to care, do they? I, I think it would be capital controls. Like it would always come down to that because I don't think a government would sanction an attack on their own currency. But like, but the only way that it's an attack is if the currency devalues in the future, which you're not really causing that, are you? I mean, it is if you're if if you. If you think the price, like price going down today is saying that in the future we think this thing is going to be worth less. So in essence, the mechanism of the devaluation is the anticipation of something that I'm holding being worth less five, ten years from now. Yeah, I just don't understand how it's bad for the, the Argentinian peso for there to be more demand for banking services for the Argentinian peso. Yeah, I think it could actually theoretically save an economy if they did start loaning out for a while you'd have the speculative attack and at some point the local people would also be needing loans as well and it could push it up so it could be a good idea for them even i think it would have a lot to do with like what like what's the interest rate what's the interest rate in argentina to do that i mean yeah, maybe it's a 15 percent interest rate i mean and, think about yeah. think about i mean for a mortgage, I mean, it might be 50 with what's going on with their currency. Um, and uh, I mean, you think about it, like, wouldn't every citizen of the country do the same thing with credit cards? Like, immediately. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, but that's what happens with I mean, you just go to the like, store and buy a whole bunch of crap. You know, like with Vancouver and Seattle real estate and all these things that these Chinese citizens have been buying U.S. real estate to store the value and not have their local currency devalued. Mm -hmm. So... I just don't understand why that doesn't happen more often in these smaller, weaker currencies. It's I, I have to think that it's when you're in a scenario where the economy or your currency is collapsing, there's always a flight to quality. And at that point, trying to game the system is not your number one concern because most people are not going to be savvy enough to think of something like that. Their first, their first thought is, what is the best thing right now? U.S. dollars compared to the peso or the euro or whatever. They're not thinking of borrowing against it and it being a great time. They're just trying to get their savings out. Yeah, I think they're also not thinking if you a mortgage in a foreign country because it'd be an unsecured loan. You would need, you could only get a small loan if it's, if you don't have anything they could take. But I think there, there is a good idea there. Like if you could get gold into a country use that to secure a much larger loan in it, knowing that the currency was going to devalue over time and convert it fast. Yeah. But it's and all, I mean, it's all speculation. Steal the gold. Yeah. You can always go, you know, any speculative play could go belly up, you know, 5% of the time that things go wrong when it should have gone right 95% of the time, you know? I mean, and technically, you, you kind of have it already. It's, maybe, it's not necessarily mortgages, but there are hedge funds that specialize in buying junk debt, specifically looking for currencies under attack 
and buying those bonds and buying those currencies in order to profit from it once everything gets better. Have you guys noticed that there is like a growing momentum towards a debt jubilee worldwide? Yep. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. Wait, towards what? Can you explain that? So a debt jubilee is essentially where all debt is forgiven like it gets oh, oh, to, yeah. like in the Bible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's essentially what, um, because they're, they're realizing now that the amount of debt that's out there, more specifically the amount of negative yielding debt that's out there, which is growing, oh, okay. it seems like a trillion dollars a day at this point. Because I remember when I first mentioned it to you guys, it was like 14 trillion, and now I think it's like 17 or 18 trillion dollars. It's, it's crazy, yeah. So that, and if you look at the chart, it's parabolic, and it's like, there's no way it's coming back. Give it another week, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I think, I think, I think it's gonna happen. I think it's on the cards as far as the future. I yeah. really do think so. It's insane to consider, like, like, I mean, I, I don't disagree at all. Like, and in fact, that might be the only way to have some sort of pseudo graceful exit to this, even though I think it would be a disaster in and of itself. Yeah, how do you see that as graceful? Because graceful in terms of like what they would have to deal with in, in the in the in the reverse. Like I don't think I think it's horribly immoral. I mean what they've essentially done is they've pushed everybody into debt with bad incentives and bad monetary policy and specific like manipulating the price to get people to go into debt when it was dumb to go into debt for decades. And then when they owe everybody all of this actual resources and capital, all of these man hours that they have sucked from the economy they have pulled from everybody's lives and made us pay 10 times what I, for a house that we should have paid for and made us pay 10, 10 times for education what we should have paid for. And all this over and over and over again, all this blood and sweat that all the citizens had to pay for, it's like, don't worry, we'll pay you back, don't worry, we'll pay you back for 50 years. And they're like, by the way, we're gonna forgive our debt. Like, that is essentially what's happening. Yeah. Like, it is isn't poisonous. The other, isn't the other side of the coin basically a default, right? It, the other side of the coin is basically a default, which is the exact same thing, though. It's, yeah. it's, they never could pay it. And it, it's, like, it's like, what is your exit? So, so like, how do you get out of that? So it wouldn't be all debt that was written off. Would it only be that government's debts are getting written off in this Jubilee scenario? Or like, <laughs> I would see it's more of the consumer. If they were to, to do this, this is specifically to help help a lot of consumers that are burdened by debt. So if you look at the student debt and just more, maybe not necessarily mortgages, but just general consumption debt, that's what they're targeting, is by eliminating it. Um, but in that situation, somebody's holding that debt and they yeah. would end up taking a loss on that. But yeah. That's, I don't think that would that would happen because they wouldn't just be okay with that. The biggest, if you vote for Elizabeth Warren, it'll happen. The biggest, <laughs> the biggest, the biggest losers would be um, savers, retirees, and... Don't say and, Bitcoiners. Don't say Bitcoiners. Everybody who had... Everybody who had every financial... So, yeah. take, out, take out a loan and buy Bitcoin. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. But everybody who had been financially responsible would pay for everyone who was financially. Yeah, it would it would be it would it would be the people that are already getting crushed right now with low interest rates. It's the same people. The people who come out at the best are the country sovereigns, people who borrow a lot, and particularly 
the wealthy who are able to borrow massive sums of money for at zero or negative interest rates and then use it to consume and buy purchase property and all those things. But you would have a... I don't think the... You're saying the wealthy would benefit from a debt jubilee? Because of the, the biggest borrow, they have the biggest access to credit. Yeah, but they would have to know there's a jubilee coming. They would. They would. They probably... So, I mean, I, I would imagine some of them would. Yeah, but, but I think that uh, folks that are part of the one percent have a tremendous amount of debt already. I think yeah, I think that goes without saying, right? Yeah, it's by definition, if you're wealthy, then you have more assets than liabilities, and most people, much of their assets are in bonds. I think financial yeah, education. Yeah, that's kind of a catch twenty-two. Yeah. Fi- financial on the jubilee <laughs> side, because you got a bunch of assets and bonds that are going to get. So I, I don't. Think, this is not good for people who have wealth. Well, it's a, when it's a one for one, if you think about it, because those same people who have those assets had to borrow in order to purchase said assets. So there's a lot of, you know, people that yeah, but that borrowing is done. The, com- the the house is paid for. The company's paid for. Or maybe not. They could um as a group as a core capital. So it's as a based core, on some yeah. loan that they're paying off. Because they could you know the equivalent of a giant business mortgage. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's that's Borrow a common money thing. to buy stock to own more of your own company. Yeah, right? and this, I mean, there's, yeah. there's a thousand reasons why. One percent borrow, and this is also just as a group. I mean, sure you'll have people who have borrowed and then paid it off and have an equal amount of assets. There are a lot of people who are still rich on paper, but have are heavily in debt, and there's no way for them to pay it back. I think that's more common than we think because financial education is horrible across the board in the United States. So you could be an extremely successful person who might think that they've made millions of dollars over their career, but they've messed up the asset liability thing so they're actually underwater and they don't even realize it yet because they've got money coming in that hides it. Uh, Yeah, I guess I'm objecting to calling that person wealthy. Yeah. They have negative... You, equity. The only yeah. person that would know that is their accountant. They might not even know. Okay. It. Hey, <laughs> look at your house. Kind of tells me if you're wealthy or not. Is you know. Uh, right. Yeah, that's definitely the snow. Right? Yeah. So I want to go back to this the buying, um, like borrowing from Argentina. Let's let's dive into that some more because I think that there is a sexy opportunity for us to um, screw over some Argentinian banks. Can, can you describe, <laughs> describe a, a, an example legally, legally. slowly? Yeah, I'm not probably going to be able to do a good job explaining okay. the example slowly, but I know the concept of a speculative attack does exist, and I know it's been done several times in the past. Probably the most famous one was the George Soros break in the pound, mm-hmm. um, where I, I think you just take out massive loans in the con- in the country where you think the, you know, the currency is going to devalue, and then when it does, you pay back the loan at a cheaper real rate for you. Yeah, Soros is actually notorious that he's supposedly participated in the business where, where his wealth comes from. Yeah, he, he made basically a, like, does this a billion dollars in a day. incites... Yeah. The f- collapses in these countries at the same time, so that he's he's playing a game of like make all citizens. Yeah, and that was the Bank of England. Yeah, that happened. Yeah, so it's not Argentina. Um, I, I would say it's conceptually similar. Yeah, shorting. You're betting against something, and you have to have the funds to uh, withstand the the, the the time the chronology of winning. Yeah, yeah, and that's I think that's where like the attack comes into it. Where if a bunch of people do this, it starts to yeah. To, and that's where I think if effect. that happens, that's where the currency controls prevent it, which might be why it doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, I think you would have the arbitrage out of the right off the bat. So if you got a negative interest rate loan, 
and then put it into a any savings account that earned two percent, that you're now create an arbitrage opportunity that nothing can go wrong if you close your position at that point. Right? Dude, negative interest rates are yeah. so confusing. It's just it just bungles everything. You're like, okay, so in the Netherlands right now I can get a ten year mortgage for negative point six percent. So I take out I, I I own my house outright, but I'm I'm gonna take out a mortgage, get money from the bank, and then invest that money in treasuries in the US because it because we have a positive rate. Yeah. It just confuses the heck out of everything. Just the best way to try to understand it is maybe look at the opposite way. So the interest rate and the bond price are the inverse. So if negative if interest rates are negative, that means the bond price is sky high. That's essentially what it is. From so, from the issue price. Yeah, it's sky high. Uh, because the cash flows that you would have gotten from the uh, payment of that bond yeah. have gotten squeezed and pulled forward and it's showing up in the actual value of the you, bond itself. You overpay on the front end for the bond and then the bank pays you back slowly. Yes, it's essentially that. So bond is, and if you look at a lot of sovereign debt, their bond prices themselves are sky high compared to historical. Yeah, bonds are doing extremely well this year. Yeah. yeah. It is, I think that's the other big threat is a very small movement in interest rates could collapse the entire bond market at this point, right? Correct, yeah. 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 I think they said if, if, if they were to try to get back to what was normal, which was around 4%, um, the Fed funds rate was, that I think it, it, the, the losses would be catastrophic because you have a lot of companies that are... You have a lot of funds that can't hold anything but investment-grade debt, and there's a lot of investment-grade debt that's on the verge of becoming junk. And if interest rates just move up, you know, quickly within a short period of time, let's say back to four or five percent, a lot of the bond universe that we consider investment-grade would drop off. I think the the key reason why we're seeing negative interest rate debt is you can't interest rates cannot go up like that yeah. they're prevented because we have all the central banks buying bonds specifically to keep the rates low yeah like that's it that's the Ponzi scheme right they have they can't stop yeah they have to, they're going to keep going and it's i mean interest rates have to keep going down as they have for the past 30 years until the system collapses yeah <laughs> it's crazy it, it, yeah, yeah. And, and that's why gold's going up. Yeah, yeah that's why gold's going up. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is a full circle. Beautiful bug. Beautiful bug. One question, one podcast. <laughs> Everybody knows the rules. Yeah, my, my official prediction for 2020, for 2030, is that the what the big banks are going to do is they're going to, we're going to see the Libra-type coins come along. They're first going to try to do be Bitcoin with corporations doing it. Then the central banks are going to, those are going to fail essentially. The central banks are going to, they're going to offer their own version of digital currencies. And then around 2030, they're going to try to go back to the gold standard, but they're not going to be able to get it done. They'll come close and fail because they can't actually hold themselves to a standard that strict with no flexibility of you actually need to back everything with gold. And so no one will trust it. Yeah. But I think that's what they're set up Who to was do. it recently that there's another plan for a global cryptocurrency? 
Carney. Was it just oh, yeah, just a Bang of England guy. guy. Bang of England guy. Yeah, yeah. Carney. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he came out. Jackson Hole. Here goes another one. Yeah, he flat out came out and was just like, we need a different currency. We need a different world reserve currency. Yeah, it was like, and Bitcoin. And, and Jackson Hole with the Fed and Not an all of that saying, we need a new currency. He can't be the dollar. Dollars become very yeah. destructive. Mm. Well, he's totally right. I wonder what it could be. What, yeah. what could it be? <laughs> what should we use? <laughs> what should we use? Anybody have any suggestions? Buy my bags. <laughs> I mean, the, Iota it is. <laughs> the rest of the world trusting the U.S. to manage the world's currency that was obviously a terrible decision. I don't know why <laughs> anyone scam. thought it was a good idea. No, it was a great scam, though. I mean, yeah. it was it worth was, it was brilliant what they did. It was, and I think it was a it was a good decision up until the '60s. So, world, post World War II, U.S. had the largest economy by factors compared to the rest of the world. Had the biggest markets. Had the most liquid financial system. Had actually had a pretty sound compared to other countries' um, fiscal policy. What happened is from the Korean World War to the Vietnam War, they began to run a lot more deficits, and they had you know the Great Society kind of experiment that rent, that increased the amount of spending that they were doing, which then broke the peg. So it worked literally for maybe twenty years, if that. Hmm. Man, it's it's amazing to me how when you dig down a lot of this stuff, just the overspending and war, you know, it's all tied into monetary policy. How you get into oh, yeah. wars, and then you have to. One of the one of the best parts about the the Safetyne's book, the the Bitcoin Standard, that I liked was just about how back in the day you had to, you know, you had to tax people if you wanted to go to war and you know run up a, a big bill on something. You had to get people's buy-in to consume their horses and you know consume their gold and go out and ask them, hey, are you cool with us fighting this war? Because it's going to cost you this much. But now you don't have to do that. You just print the money and fight the war and run up a deficit. A world with sound money or Bitcoin, for example, um, they literally can't run a deficit. If they aren't running the currency, they have no way to spend money that doesn't exist. They can't spend it as Bitcoin. They have to spend it as, here's a bond. Like they have to convince someone to buy it. Um, and it totally changes the game. It's like state government, actually. Right? Yeah, 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 just like that. Yeah, and state governments are also maybe equally bad at yeah. balancing their own budgets, and a lot yeah. of states are going to go bankrupt in the next couple of years. You know, right? Because right, because they're getting into debt from promises to because they're they're trying to play the same yeah, game that the federal the government game. does, but they they're not in the same ballpark. You right. know, they don't have the same tools. Right. States have defaulted before. I sent around a link in the chat this week that talked yeah. about when like ten states would go down at once and. But yeah. that's it. But that's, oh, that's the corrective. I think I read that. One. That that's and we, we need countries to be able to do that too. Yeah. And not have it. When you read that, it was just everyone. Why times the U.S. has defaulted? Gotcha. Yeah, states have defaulted a lot throughout uh, U.S. history and municipalities. Oh, the municipal bonds are in a terrible situation. They would be the worst ones to own, and they have, that's why they're like so heavily tax incentivized. Is because like if you thought about it, you know these cities like in California are not going to pay back their pensions. <laughs> Yeah. I have a theory, and I haven't worked it out yet because I don't know enough about Nietzsche, but I think his concepts of nihilism have been applied to economics. Just like, you know, sometimes ideas <laughs> jump from field to field, and we're just, it's like we're living in this period where he, oh, everything on economics really is just meaningless. There's deep, yeah. There are no rules that anyone has to follow. I agree no one's going to punish you <laughs> if you do crazy things. 
Unless you're an ordinary citizen. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. That's the <laughs> exception to the rule. And if you're gonna scam, you gotta scam big, so yeah. that nobody can ever call you out on yeah. it. Because if you scam big enough, then you're just an authority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then you're, and you're just a social authority, and now, now it's just weird to question you. Yeah. Um, you just gotta make sure, gotta make sure you got that power. Yeah. I learned uh, the Latin origins of technology and technocrat. This uh, this weekend, and so technology. Techno means like skill of. So technology is the skill of knowledge, and technocrat, which is like you know who runs big bureaucracies, is the skill of power. Yeah. So they're not using they're not they're not skilled in knowledge and just being wise people. They're skilled in power. How do I you know get that promotion? How do I get closer to the inner circle? The inner circles. Skilled bureaucrats. It's, it's a problem. Bitcoin fixes this. <laughs> the way you get money out of politics is you get politics out of money. Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. It, it seems more feasible every day that governments aren't going to be managing currencies anymore, cause just because it just seems like how... Couldn't happen quick enough. Yeah, what could happen that would save it at this point? If it happened tomorrow morning, it would be too late. <laughs> it would be like, it should have happened yesterday. <laughs> so, so are they a government if they're not managing money? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's still like they got Panama. I believe they're on the dollar. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, it's and and state governments. I think Local the idea of it will change yeah, drastically, so, so, and the scale to which they have power will change drastically. But um, I think people naturally are still looking for some sort of central power to follow. Um, yeah, I think the ability, nature. the ability to tax, I guess, is probably the, yeah. the, yeah. the truer definition of what a government is. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. Imposing a tax versus controlling your monetary mm -hmm. uh, system is, is, I guess, less relevant. So in that regard, governments are going to become more government-like when they can't control inflation because it'll have to be taxed. That's the thing, though, is mm -hmm. that they, there's a huge check on that institution because the profit from being directly violent to your citizens has been declining uh, over the centuries. And so that's why money and government became so deeply intertwined, is because it was the only way they could fulfill their ambition is to confiscate the resources. Oh, you're saying that in the past, you could just go beat up a bunch of peasants and take all their money. You can't really do that anymore. Right, exactly. right. Um, and uh, so when, when essentially their incentives are reverted in, in the opposite, where they do have to directly tax again, I don't think it will ever reach the point that it once was. Like, I think it's a progressively, that power is being progressively <clears throat> taken from them because people get most of their needs met uh, directly now, like, like with services and stuff. And as more of those services are, again, separated from government, um, which I think is just kind of the natural tendency of technology, uh, the, the payoff and the need to feel like they're, they're necessary will continue to decline over time. Um, Is there a book you'd like to recommend about that? Um, probably Sovereign Individual. Yeah, yes, definitely Sovereign Individual. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that, that'd be the one. One of, one of the craziest things that happened over this week was when Trump was directly telling U.S. companies to get out of China. We can't have tyrants telling our business leaders how to run their businesses. It is absurd. It is anti-free market. It is anti-capitalism. No, man. There's a little... I think that guy's king troll. I think he is full of shit, and he's fully aware of it. I think he is fucking with everybody. 
And I think he just, he like likes getting a rise out of people. I think he's wow. just a straight up troll. Like I don't think he's gonna do anything. His strategy is just chaos. I don't think he's gonna do anything. It's, he doesn't what is have he a strategy. It's just to be, you can't predict my next move. So he's gonna yeah. say random things. You're not gonna be able to figure out his game plan. My question is what did he actually do while everybody was freaking out about the tweet? Right. Like that's what I right. wonder. Because he's not gonna do anything. He's not gonna say you can't do business. Well, actually, I don't know, maybe he'll just tack another tariff on it. Who knows? So, I think we have kind of have to. I think we we have to start taking people at their word when they do stupid shit. And I think that's kind of what this era has taught us. Because I think we we kind of said like, oh, he's not gonna do it. He's not gonna do it. He's actually starting to implement a lot of the stuff that he's trying to do. There's obviously you do have the courts at times that tries to stop him. But as far as companies, I was re- I was listening this morning. He can literally just sign an executive order saying it's of national security for all corporations to come home because if you're doing business in China, here's a reason, here's a list of reasons why you can no longer do business in China, you need to roll up your business. Like he he has that ability. Mm-hmm. I mean Congress can put a check on him, but when's the last time that Congress has done their job? But as as an investor, I don't want to know that a president can tell corporations I'm invested with to yeah, move some their factories out of the market. I, would, I mean, it's going to such a shock. That's, that's why market power should never have should never mm-hmm. get into the to mm-hmm. any branch, yeah. any branch. And that's why the power should never be given to anyone because mm-hmm. it doesn't. Because eventually, you have an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like even if you just have even if you just have somebody with all the best intentions, just totally an angel and just ignorant as shit, you have somebody who's stupid in that chair with the pen to ruin everyone. I also don't think it's necessarily stupid. I think he said exactly what he wants to happen, which is he do, he doesn't want to impose tariffs on China. He just wants all American businesses to stop investing in China because you're investing in our geopolitical rival. It'd yeah. be the same thing as opening a business in the USSR because it was cheaper to open a you know a factory there. He doesn't want that to be I'll just, a thing. I'll just clarify that I wasn't meaning that Trump was stupid in this case. Like I think you're exactly right that like what he's trying to do, he knows what he's trying to do. Um, I just mean it in the sense that the best case scenario was that we have a genuinely good person who is just stupid. Yeah, like, or, or that's it, the best case scenario. Or does something stupid with. with the best of intentions, with the best, with, with the best yeah, yeah, history yeah. was behind him, that this was a good idea, or everyone agreed or something. Mm-hmm. But just the nature that they had the power and that they weren't going to necessarily pay the consequences of it. They were moving other people's resources yeah. and it happened when it wouldn't have otherwise. You, you don't need senior decisions. You need a bunch of small decisions going every which way so that the bad ones can die off and it's only killed a small branch. Yeah. It's not a systemic problem when yeah. somebody makes a bad decision. It's yeah. a directly who who invested in me and who trusted in me problem. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. You decentralize the power. Yeah. I didn't pay as much attention to the China tweet. Or that that specific China tweet, but the the one that was more strange and kind of disconcerting to me was the one talking about who's our biggest enemy, you know, Powell or the Chinese premier. Um, I just thought that was that was a little much. Yeah. Did it say Powell and China to say Powell and G? Powell and G. Yeah, Powell and G. Someone talking about it. It was Powell and G, and I think this kind of goes back to what you were saying. Um, these are like Powell's part of an American institution, and we may have our feelings of central banks, but the central ba- like this guy goes in with the intentions of that he's actually doing good work for the American people, even if the things that he 
does is questionable, or the, the effects that he has of it. But to say that the, the, the pretty much an, uh, an American you know, leader of an institution, which one is the enemy versus him or the Chinese, I mean, also, China, the Chinese <laughs> premier is not the enemy of the United States citizen. It's, it's yes. like he has a very neutral stance at worst towards the American yeah. citizens, I bet, you know? I, he's, but he's just like any other country, any other leader of a country that wants to see their country come out on top in any way possible. He's looking out for him, for his country's interests. Yeah. Who's this? Uh, uh, she. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it just bugs me when... when trying to politicize the Fed. It I just, think, yeah. I think what we're seeing is, we're seeing the maneuver on both sides. Is that everybody's desperately, desperately looking for places to point fingers because everything's going to shit. Um, like everybody knows that the gig is kind of up and the curtain's being pulled back. Yeah. And everybody is desperately looking for an enemy Point to because be really fall guys float around. It's a mirror. Like it's this our fault. To, like this. If you lose your keys, yeah, you're responsible. Yeah. So. Like like this is something that we have been pushing for and that has been voted for a thousand different ways. Everybody bought into the gig. Everybody played the game. Everybody stood in front of the curtain like we were all happy. And now they wanted to be somebody else's fault. It's either, you know, Antifa versus the white everything, or it's Trump versus China and Powell, and everybody's just being an idiot and seeking an enemy anywhere they can find it. Um, yeah, I think it's just really telling of just, in general, there's just a lot of, just a breakdown of the social fabric. That's what it feels like is going on. Yeah. On a, not just on a national scale, but on a global scale. Mm -hmm. Like even trade agreements or allies that we thought were allies, like now you have other people attacking each other, which we used to be friends, and it's just like, something is just not right. That's what happens when people get hungry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no matter economics, it breaks down. And that's, that's essentially what's happening, yeah. Yeah, I think what I've heard is that essentially neoliberalism has failed and it hasn't collapsed to the point where everyone's given up on it, but that's why we don't believe in the system anymore. And in this failing, it had to undermine liberal democracies so that people couldn't reform their economies away from the system that worked so well from like corporations and governments working together, you know, yeah. making sure Amazon's and <coughs> whatever the biggest company in France doesn't pay taxes. Yeah. <laughs> it's over. It's just. It's just the. Uh, it just needs to play out. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's really funny. Is it, it really is. It's just. It's over. like the, the coyote is over the cliff. Right. And, yeah, and falling, we're just trying not to let down because yeah. we know as soon as we look down, like we fall. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much where we are right now. I, I, uh, I just remember something. We were talking about bonds earlier. Yeah. And the tragic thing about bonds is they're supposed to be the safe haven asset. <laughs> and yet, we're at a point where a small interest rate could like devastate the bond market, cut it in half. This was not, was it ever a safe haven asset or did something change at some point? Was it always just a marketing trick saying bonds were safe? Because I never quite believed it. Well, they, they, I mean, in, in all finance, um, there, there's this concept of a risk-free asset, which is defined as a U.S. bond. Yeah. Yeah, I think it it, it, it was it, it was for uh, even if in, in history for the most part, outside of like the, the countless wars that have happened that have caused governments issue enough debt. But if we just look at it from just the nineteen hundreds, bonds were pretty they were pretty stable. 
um, in general. Well, it's risk-free because you will get your capital back. Yes. And how can you not get your capital back from a U.S. issued bond when the U.S. has a strong economy yep. and can tax? But aren't, currently, aren't you paying like $1,400 for a bond that you only get $1,000 at the end of it right now? Yes. But you'll get the $1,000 back. That's, that's the thing. So that's, that's where else do you put it? So that's why I'm saying, like, if you look at it from negative interest rates from that to the bond prices going up, there's just a flight to quality. They're like, look, you may give me back, I might give you $100, and I only get back 98 At least I got back. Where can you get a better deal? Yeah, at least I got back Show me a better deal. So. It is, it is a, um, I mean, the gold is going up as a reflection of that, but but the true flight to quality still, more than ever, is the U.S. bond. That's crazy. That's what's, you know, well, actually, I guess you could argue it's German bonds are the ones that are actually yielding negative because those have the highest prices. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just nuts. Yeah, that's a weird situation where if... If there was a really responsible government out there who wasn't writing up deficits and all this stuff, they could issue like a really negative bond because people would feel really comfortable giving them money. They right? have. Because they would have tremendous interest in buying the bond, so the price of the bond would just run up and the effective yield would be Germany, big negative. Germany would qualify as that. Germany has, Germany has experienced inflationary episodes the past 100 years, so they're very sensitive of being fiscally responsive. It's so strange, though, because you think about it. And they have negative yields. And they have negative yields yeah, right. across the entire maturity spectrum. Right. It's just the strangest thing. It's so counterintuitive because you think, you look at a company and you're like, oh, yeah, well, GE bonds only pay 2%, but this speculative biotech, you know, they pay 15%. You know, you think the lower the yield, the safer, but... It's weird because when you go like way negative, it's like not. It's any still safe, saying right? that it's it's a it's it, because it's such a weird thing. It's saying it's so safe that I would rather take the risk of getting not getting back two dollars if I'm going to get my money back. I would rather know. Yeah, exactly. That I'm not getting back. $2. I would rather know my loss rather than wonder what my loss. Yeah, is will I lose everything? Because where else do I put it? I think everything else is overbought. I think everything else is weak. Like they, they fly to bonds because they're like, okay, only two percent loss, cool. And, and that's I'm looking at possibility of fifty percent loss right now. You know, like if if the, the housing market so like, turns around or the derivatives market turns around. I mean, the the bond market is getting a lot of the brunt of this conversation, but I think it just reflects extremely poorly on how overvalued everything else is. Yes. Exactly. Yes, that's, exactly. That's, that's okay. it. There, so if you look Literally, at, people are like, I don't want real estate, I don't <laughs> want stocks, I don't want commodities. Well, some people do want commodities like gold, Yeah. but just give Every, me the bond. Everything you can think of, stocks, real estate, um, private credit, art, car collectibles, you name the exotic asset class, it's overpriced. It's just maxed out. If there's anything that has like a little bit of extra yield in which you can get, you can guarantee it that JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Citigroup, any of those guys have gotten their hands on it, have created a product, and have sold it to the clients, and then those yields have come down. <clears throat> That's why I think Bitcoin is going to be a speculative attack on the whole system, is because it will give yield, provably so, in, in a sense that like, like you know 
it's scarce. Like like with all, all the other assets or whatever, you you see, even if the yield is zero even in Bitcoin if the terms, yield is zero in Bitcoin. Like yeah, like even if the yield is zero, like you know, like in a, in a in a growing economy, like that that flip that switch could flip very quickly, and people could rush to that when it really looks like something. It, when it kind of hits that that Lindy curve, and it's just like obviously this isn't going anywhere because there was a point in the internet where it was like well, obviously we we're using the internet just enough to the point where we know it's not going to be gone like well obviously like like I have the internet in my pocket I have the internet in in my laptop bag I have the internet in twenty different places we know if you ask anybody else what anybody what the future is and you ask them using the internet machines. Duh, <laughs> duh, it's gonna be there. Internet's only what, 30 years old? Like, in, in, a, in a realistic sense? How quickly does that happen with Bitcoin when Bitcoin is a derivative of it? Like, like five years from now, when it's the hardest asset in the world from a stock to flow perspective? Right. Five years, yeah. Like, it's gonna be wild, man. What, when people see that, when it's, when it's half the age of the internet today, and it, there's nothing that looks like it can mess with it. Like it just, there's no, the risk of it disappearing is so low. What does that do to the price of everything else? Yeah, the perception of the risk. The perception, the perception of the risk everywhere else in comparison. I mean, if the bond market does collapse, your only options are precious metals and digital currencies. Yeah. I mean, there is no other safe haven asset. It, it used to just be precious metals. Yeah. Yeah, or maybe, maybe even the bond market can't collapse. It can't. Central banks will buy it. They are buying. Yeah, the central banks. The central banks are making the major buyers. That's what QE is. It's just buying bonds and mortgages and mortgage-backed securities and stuff. And it's going to grow, possibly stocks. Yeah, yeah. So is it just it all happens until the currencies collapse? Is that is that the end game? Well, one of the things that, that is very strange to me, which I definitely think that, you know, once you, like in Japan, the, you know, I was gonna say the Japanese central bank already, they can't directly buy stocks, so they buy ETFs of stocks, and they're, they, they already own like 70% of them. Yeah. yeah. So it's effectively just nationalizing the equity markets in these companies and sort of socializing the means of production. So the government's going to end up owning all the stock in all these companies just from printing all this money. It's very strange. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's we're going to. I don't think we're going to have the very, I guess, um, I won't even say glamorous because it's not the right word, but just like the fireworks of like the economy collapsing. Hollywood. I don't think that's actually going to happen. I think what the U.S. and <clears throat> Europe is increasingly moved towards is what they call the Japanification of the economy where you just get really stagflation, low yeah. growth, high debt levels. Inflation. And well, inflation in asset prices, you won't get it, you, it won't show up in everyday prices. Like suddenly the price of food goes through the roof because a lot of the assets or a lot of the capital is being contained in the financial sector. But what will happen is a lot of institutions are, once they've sucked everything dry, they're gonna see Bitcoin over here that that had that is that has the its track record and the performance that it's done, then they're going to start slowly allocating towards it, and that's literally what's going to cause it to become what it's going to what we think it's going to be ten years. It'll be now. a reverse run on the bank. Reverse. Yeah, it's going to be quiet. It's not going to be like 
life is gonna go on yeah. just as normal. And, and you think about it, we're in the middle of it. We're in the middle of it's it. Happening. Yeah, it's happening right now. Yeah. Life, is just gonna, like. life is just gonna go on at normal, but it's a powerful institutions that are gonna begin to make changes to how they invest and how they perceive risk and reward, and Bitcoin is just gonna get dragged into that class of which then they'll say, oh, we'll allocate some of this and we'll allocate more of that because now it's made my pension solvent. Now it's done this. Now it's done that. And before you know it, you get those prices that people are talking about what Bitcoin gets to. Yeah. As and, and I think, um, like, I think the big, like something you said, like kind of right in the middle there, I think is a really good point to kind of focus on is that their judgment of what is risky and what is not has, is out the window. That's all out the window. Um, So they had a board. They had a board that they've been running by, like a a list of rules that say this is risky, this is not, this will pay good, this won't. Uh, This is this is where we this is where we sit the real strong stuff, and this is where we sit the shitty. I don't know what to do with this stuff, and it's all back on the table, and they have to remake this board, and Bitcoin is now on the table with everything else. So think about it. From I, I think this will happen in the next fallout with governments just straight up buying equity. Maybe it's under the veil of an ETF or maybe it's just direct mm-hmm. equity. Yeah. But like, what's the incentive for a company to produce a good product or to pay a dividend or to reinvest in you know, your, your capital assets if you know the government's gonna buy your stock no matter what, just to keep the price up? You, you That's gonna mess up a lot of the incentives running a company and producing a product. Still already there. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it's. I, I think actually, that's where we've been for twenty years. Yes, yeah, I don't. But think it's going to be much more worse. Yeah, it'll be much worse when the government is directly buying equity and they just say, okay, we got a hundred billion to allocate to equity, and everybody gets you know. So they're, in, million. they're indirectly doing that now by pushing bond rates down. They're 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 pushing bond prices up. Companies are issuing bonds. Yeah. And companies are issuing their own stock. They're doing right. it right now. So it's yeah. indirect. Yeah. And you're right, it'll get worse. But the whole problem here, this whole Bitcoin standard, et cetera, is about misallocation of capital, which is what you're describing. Yeah, and it'll get worse yeah. when, when like, and company, countries are buying stuff. I think we've seen this over like 20 or 30 years. We really went from a position where the CEO, like the people at the top of the companies, were. Uh, were visionaries, were engineers that like were deep into actually making those products in the early years and of those companies, and now they're all marketers. And they're you're a shareholder, Jack, like about their product. The CEO of a company should be a humongous shareholder in the company, yeah. so they're not using the company, yeah. to, you know, pilfering the the coffers for their mm-hmm. own benefit as opposed to the shareholders' benefit. Yeah. Now they're selling on financial markets, and they need to look yeah. like they're sellable on a financial market. We talked about how Trump goes after the Fed, but he goes after the Fed in a way that has not been the way Bitcoin people go after the Fed. He go, we go after the Fed for the, what we're talking about now. We want to see your balance sheet. <laughs> we want to know the exact timing of when you decided to buy $50 billion of this one sketchy ETF and why you were just meeting with the CEO of that company two weeks earlier, right before you made the big buy. Because yeah. that's what I think is going on. And, you know, Japan apparently is already heavily into where their federal, their uh, central bank has bought the entire thing. But with the U.S., the general U.S. citizenry knew that the this weird bank was slowly up buying up all the stocks, it, they would be angry. 
and what happened to but this they'd be happy to see the 401k going I just, on. I, I don't think they will get angry because I, just take just look at Japan right now. I mean, they own seventy percent of the Nikkei index. I think that's the one you're talking about. Um, everything's fine. Japan's no, no. If you look at it from if you look at it from the facade, as far as the services work, are people be able to go to jobs? And yes, there's a high debt, and they have a demographic issue. But as far as a running economy, the business is still producing. Business is still caring about acquiring market share from other people. They just know that they'll just bake it into their calculations for valuation of the price that the central bank has bought X amount of shares as well. But that won't change their decisions as far as running the business and running everything smoothly, which is why I think the collapse won't be in fireworks, it'll just be gradual, it'll just be what it's been going, it's been deteriorating now for 10 years. Like Japan has been collapsing for 30 years because the it was a lost decade from the 80s and 90s and it became another lost decade from the 2000s on and now it's another lost decade. So they've been a lost decade for like three decades now. And everything, if you look at them, everything is fine from the surface. You can still go to J Tokyo right now and do what you want to do. But I think the actual people living in Japan, they're like not getting married and they're killing themselves, the yeah. young people. Like that's what it really is. It's actually brutal as from a human being perspective. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because you think like the cost that is actually being paid, it's almost kind of crazy how much, like if you think it's the default, if you think it's just the way things are, how much terrible shit you'll put up with like in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, um, like we get, I don't know if it's the, uh, what's the, there's some psychological effect or whatever where you just identify with your pain, like it's, it becomes the standard, it becomes the standard. All the terrible things that are Stockholm. happening becomes, Normalization. maybe Stockholm Syndrome, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm just sure exactly what it is, I feel like there's something specific. But, but it goes either way, way too, yeah. if, you, if you won the lottery, you'd eventually normalize to where even though you have everything at your fingertips, it doesn't like do much for you as far as yeah. enjoying life more. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, the same happens if you get like a more station in life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you're paralyzed or if you win the lottery a year later, you have about the same happiness. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I want to push back. I don't think I don't know who said, but I don't. I don't think American citizenry will put, uh, tolerate the Federal Reserve buying equities, um, and I think there won't be a bailout next. I, I mean, uh, we're going to see Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or someone is going to come to power, and the money is going to go. We're going to have a UBI, you know, a, a universal basic. That we're going to just give people money. Not it's going to go direct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna yeah, happen. Just right. Speed it up. If somebody gives me a thousand dollar check a month, it goes into Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I don't. Again, I don't think that they would care. I mean, how many people know? Like, if people you took were a really mad after two thousand eight, after the balance. Right. But take a hundred. But where has that got? I, I would. I would. I would buy that more if something substantial had changed out of the financial crisis. Yeah. Things have gotten progressively worse since so eight or not. No, yeah. but but there was a there was a. Dis discrete event known as the bailout, which yeah. wasn't a discrete event, but it was a <laughs> series of events. Yeah. Um, and, uh, no, okay. I mean, yeah, it's people. I mean, people get mad. Back on it. People get mad, but if 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 the Fed going out and buying stocks and buying more bonds, that is going to help the top ten and top one percent's portfolios yes. because they hold Absolutely. most of those assets. They're they're going to be fine. So it's, it won't be the first time in history where the bottom portion of the population is pissed the hell off, 
and, and stuff still goes on. Yeah. Yeah, but, <laughs> like, yeah, but I think the tone in this. Go ahead, please. Well, no, but I think that the you know the non one percenters now people who don't own financial assets who yeah. don't own stocks, bonds, houses, stuff like. I think it's it's beginning to their their interest is getting peaked into what's happening here and why is this continuing like why is my income not gone up at all you know. But I think it only matters. It's it's the it's the um, it's the bread and circus. So as long as the roof is over their head, food in their belly, and they get some entertainment every now and then, they'll overlook it. People now are going if, backwards. Yeah, people are. Uh, look, if, we got Trump. Yeah. If if you think if you like <laughs> yeah. options. Yeah. Like, <laughs> But, you know, as long as people's needs are met on a day-to-day basis, they don't care. And, yes, if if the Fed comes out and they start buying, you know, all these bonds and buy these all these stocks, they'll be outraged because they're going to say, oh, well, the rich are getting richer. And it would be absolutely true. But as long as nothing fundamental has changed, can I still go to the grocery market? Can I still do this? Well, Can I still do that? I think I think the UBI route is way is way more palatable to people just because it has the same effect. Like all that ninety percent of that money is going to go to the same fifty companies. Yeah, you know, and yeah. those companies are just going to get them that much bigger. It might not be technically the government who owns them, but the money will still be going to them. Mm-hmm. You know, so the same effect, and maybe it makes people not as pissed off. Yeah, and at this point, it's not. It's it's about keeping the masses happy. And at least you get to say, hey, we tried something different. This time, we didn't just do QE, we gave you the UBI, right? We tried funneling money to everybody else, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I think this thing, I think this can go on a lot longer than we think it can. Like, I know, I know logically everything is supposed to break, but I think insanity, if Japan is any indication of it, can it go on a lot longer than anybody thought was possible, just in kind of like the course of this discussion it's just gotten me to think about what is it that causes that kind of fireworks style collapse and it's when people pull their money out where are they pulling it to with this problem that's why it probably will just kind of trickle into like kind of an endless stagnation is because what there there is no avenue to pull it out to with that much there's no liquidity. I mean, what are they going to pull into cash? We're going to pull twelve trillion dollars out into cash. Out of what? It doesn't exist. Like out of just like the bond markets, the stock markets. There is no avenue to pull that value from. There's no hose big enough to let off all the pressure. So it's like we all kind of have to eat the poison playing the game I mean, all together. In a way, didn't the isn't the fact that the only things that become exponentially more expensive are housing, college education, and medical expenses, three things that should be kind of stable. The fact that those have gone up says we're already stagnating. The only way we can make it appear that something's growing is by price gouging in specific areas that people have no alternatives. I think they should naturally go down. Yeah, um, so the fact that yeah, the opposite yeah. direction says that oh, this yeah. that this economic manipulation to make something grow when not when everything should be getting cheaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well absolutely. this gets okay, that is that's a really great point because this gets back to the concept of why it's good that Bitcoin doesn't have a utility value. You know, people always say in the gold example, oh oh well yeah, you know, if, if uh, 
Yeah, Peter Schiff always says, "Oh yeah, I can make, uh, I can put gold in my electronics. I I can build a computer with it, and like that, that you know, that gives it value." But people are, you know, and and people put the monetary value on top of the commodity value for gold. But that's happening with housing. Like housing is the best example. Like people are, there's the utility value of housing, which is like, okay, yeah, you need a roof and you need a you know, shower and all this kind of stuff. But then there's the monetary. You know, yeah. unit value of housing, which you can ask. That's why the price mm-hmm. keeps going up. And, yeah. and I think that I think, and this is something that is dear to me. Like breaking the zoning restrictions and a lot of those things will kind of free up that ability because there's. If you take San Francisco for example, there's a lot of artificial scarcity out there. Yes. Where they they want to build, but the people in the community are just saying who. Who had a lot of who have property out there? It's worth a lot. Saying, "Oh, it's going to affect my property value." So, no. Like we want to build affordable yeah. housing, but no, it's going to affect. They my have property. any understanding of scarcity? Yes. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. I mean, they, they, there's a dual. There's like housing should That's be something that you use and you consume to live in and to you know to provide well-being. But now it's being turned into a speculative vehicle. And it's when it's not actually scarce, and it shouldn't. It's not. Have, yeah, it's yeah. not like, scarce. It's it, it's kind of a sign of times that we're taking one of the that we've essentially created a money that is so bad, an entire monetary system that is so bad that we are turning one of the basic needs of humanity, shelter, into a speculative asset. It's not even being used to give people shelter. Yeah. Well, like, is it a speculative asset or a monetary asset? It's a monet. They're it's using money. it. Yeah. yeah. It's money. It's becoming yeah. money because there's no good money. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Which is why it's good that Bitcoin doesn't have a a quote unquote real world use that there's you no can. You t- there's no. There's no. It's, it's, there's it's, no. It's, one of the best features that they're taking from. It's a pure yeah. money. It's yeah. it's money. That's what it is. It's money. That's it's not. It's not a utility. Sh- sh- and I think you said like you said I think that's perfect because if people are looking for something to store value over time purchase Bitcoin like nobody is going to hurt um, if somebody suddenly hold, like two people hoard you know, half of all bitcoins like tomorrow or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not going to be a problem. Where it doesn't some, consume resources from the real world. Exactly, as far, and, and deprive someone of those. And, and, yeah. and you compare that to housing. If somebody decided to buy up an entire, you know, subdivision and just not allow that land to be used for well, the, whatever. The Manhattan example, like uh, yeah. you know, Connor Brown's got that great article where he talks about thirty percent. Yeah, like thirty percent of Manhattan real estate is unoccupied for some large portion of the year. Mm. Yeah. And 10, 10 out of 12 months. Like, wow, but, I bet a bunch of people living value. in Hoboken yeah. and Brooklyn would love to live in those mm-hmm. apartments and yeah. houses. But, but they can't because yeah. they're owned by somebody who maybe spends a month out of the year in New York City. Or so zero months or, of the year. Or at not at all. Because I know the Chinese, the Chinese, yeah. wealthy Chinese trying to get out, of, to try to get around the capital flight right. or buy property. Yeah, yeah they, so just got a, they just got a manager who's managing all their capital yeah. and being like, where do you park? It's like, well, you have a, 
you have a big place in Manhattan. It's like, oh, okay, oh, what's it look cool. like? Yeah. yeah. Why don't you send it, just yeah. shoot me a picture of it. Yeah. <laughs> what's Which, the return? What what percentage can I expect to get? Okay, yeah, yeah. I've never, I've never heard that before. That's incredibly interesting. I just figured that all the rats in Manhattan were living mm-hmm. there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't been there this weekend. That place is nasty. Yeah. Well, Manhattan? Yeah. Manhattan, goddamn rats everywhere. Have you been to San Francisco? Or the no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> all the rats were so... No, but it's... it's it smells, I heard it smells like... It's like, like piss out there. shit. Every, I mean, yeah. there's, there's people shooting. I, it's unbelievable. Like, near the flagship Apple store. I couldn't get it's over the smell. I was so homeless. Uh, yeah. when, when I was there for, um, what was I there for? I don't know, it was just a couple months ago. Bitcoin 2019, maybe? Were you shooting up a product? Wait, I thought that was Apple? in San Francisco. That was. Conference. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. I thought you were talking about. Okay, yeah. People shooting up in San Francisco. Excuse me. I thought you were talking about New York. Uh, we were just in New York recently, oh. um, and there was just so much garbage on the sidewalks. Really? Yeah, I noticed so that as well. much garbage. Yeah. Just yeah. piles and piles yeah, of garbage. Before. So stinky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why yeah, San Francisco was rough. Yeah, that's yeah. why they tell you don't touch anything in New York City. Don't touch. <laughs> when you get on the train, keep don't touch the poles. Don't yeah. touch anything in the subway. Yeah. Because there's like they did. This is side, really quick side. But they said so they found new forms of like bacteria oh, and like life, micro microbial life in the subway of New York City. Did they just didn't exist before? So wow. They discovered new species. <laughs> did, did they discover that Bitcoin was alive when they did that? Yes. Because yes. that could have been a real thing. Well, <laughs> to, to it was wrap MCC. That, it was MCC. That's why I was in New York. I couldn't remember what else. To wrap that point, it's just I, I love thinking about the incentives of Bitcoin and just that's a perfect example of the incentive because it doesn't have a utility like a commodity use like housing does, um, there's no there's no bad incentive for holding Bitcoin. It only helps other people when you hold Bitcoin. It doesn't yeah. always help no, other people when you you're hold never housing. taking real resources. Right. You're, you're taking uh, the representation. You're taking the medium, which only means that you're deferring your consumption and leaving those resources for everybody else. If you're yep. holding bitcoins, it means you didn't buy a house. It means yeah. you didn't eat the same. So the house somebody that else you might get to need. buy is cheaper because exactly. I didn't buy it. Exactly. So, so yeah. would it be fair to say that the most altruistic thing that a person could do is own bitcoin? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, transfer bitcoin, you're benefiting others. Hold bitcoin, you're benefiting others. Yeah. Uh, lose your Bitcoin, you're better than others. That's a great meme. That needs yeah. to be a meme. That, that should that's be a good. meme. I want to credit that to Wade because you kind of did bring up the lose your Bitcoin thing as yeah. benefiting others. I mean, I think that's the best kind of estate planning someone could do with Bitcoin if they don't have any kids. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just lose your Bitcoin. Like, oh, that's it. Share the love. Yeah. <laughs> you're looking very skeptically. We went into this a deep dive a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Really? Search the archives, yeah. <laughs> I'm still devastated by the fact that the current system, instead of with socialism, this uh, government ends up owning the means of production. And we're in a system where the banks are going to end up owning the means of production, just like Japan, and that's tragic. <laughs> the banks are the government. Yeah, well, no, the banks are the banks, and they make the government to think that, oh, we vote, that we matter. Yeah, the banks are. Yeah, there's a, there's a, the banks run the world, the government's like an, an in-between okay. where we pretend like the banks don't run the world. Hmm. I kind of like to think it's more of just a symbiotic relationship, like it's beneficial for both parties to join together. 
I mean, if you spend 30 years at Goldman Sachs and two years in the government, that tells me you're really a banker to begin with, yeah. and that's how our government's run. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think a, the, a good way that I, I try to imagine it, um, which makes it really fun to like watch the debates and stuff, is that uh, bankers are the ones that own the money. Like, like the people who own the money and own the wealth are the ones who are actually running everything, and the politicians are whores. They're selling themselves to be a part of this yeah. game. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and there's a picture of like the candidates and they got like the yeah. sponsors like on NASCAR or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they're, they're like, I could get in this position of power, sponsor me to get in this position of power so I can sell my, I can sell myself, I can, I can whore out all of my uh, principles and morals and everything to whatever it is that you want to manipulate society to do. And everybody's just looking to get their check. And so politicians want their check. So, Best whoring fee you can get. <laughs> so if I cash my UBI check, what does that say about me? Or uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think just now, I think government will, excuse me, always use whatever means to extend its control. So kind of going back to like the banking industry, I think the banking, I think Andrea's kind of said it pretty good where um, the banking industry is just an extension of the Justice Department. And that it's a way for them to extend their legal power and control over the financial system. So if you don't do this, you are now in trouble and we're either going to sanction your country or if you're a US citizen and you do this, we're gonna send your ass to jail. Like mm -hmm. that's the incentive for the government to be in a relationship with banks. <laughs> with the banks, it's great because you get the protection from the government to do whatever you want to do. So I think like I, I think that relationship will never stop as long as the governments exist because tomorrow it could be tech companies. So let's say, you know, the, the US government no longer has control of the financial system, but now it's through technology. Well, you best believe that these the US government is going to start partnering a lot more with these tech companies in order to control other countries or other citizens of what they can and can't do. It's just the flavor of the moment for the government. Whatever that gets to their, whatever their ends are, it, that's the means that they're going to use. Well, the way I see it is the American people and the American land are these two giant assets that someone can borrow against and get leverage. And those, it's really the same people and it's really just the banks. The gov it's not like we can vote to get the government to change, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I've always loved the uh, bootleggers and Baptists like position is that uh, the people are just the convenient way to drum up like a moral argument for all of this stuff. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, we need uh, safer cars or whatever. So you get a bunch of people, you rally a bunch of people behind a, a really moral cause of like, we need safer cars, we need to save lives and all this stuff when really it's being funded by, you know, two major car companies and what they want is an incredibly expensive regulation that requires millions and millions of dollars worth of testing on the car, which doesn't really make the car any safer, but that no startup is going to do, and then we just cement our place. They're the bootleggers using the Baptists for their moral position so that they, they it's the marketing. It's the marketing. It's we're, we're the dude you're getting Adele of what they're trying to get done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, Daniel, you're sitting in the hot seat. Uh, we're at the two-hour mark. You want to you wanna play us out, keyboard cat? Let's do it. Thanks for joining the Rally Bitcoin Meetup podcast. Hopefully see you next week. Yep, yep. Take it easy.